Have you ever had an unplanned layover in an airport that turned into a nightmare? I tell you, isn't it fun to try to sleep in those airport chairs? And I think they frown on taking two of them and try to take a nap. I tell you, it uh, is also difficult to fight somebody over a plug-in for your cell phone charger. And then you have that wonderful view going over to those great big windows and looking out over the scenic view of the airport tarmac. Isn't that fun? Oh, I tell you, it is boring. It is difficult when you have those layovers. You know, as we continue looking through the book of Acts in our travelogue on the second missionary journey, Paul left Berea in a hurry and arrived in the city of Athens. And it didn't seem to be that this was on his uh, planned trip for his next journey. He was supposed to go to Corinth next, but he was there in Athens just waiting for Timothy and Silas to show up. So before they would begin their next evangelistic activity. It's kind of like a layover on a trip. Well, Paul... While he was waiting in Athens, he just didn't sit there looking through the magazines or anything. He decided, I need to do something. I need to continue to be a witness wherever I am going. And I think that's a good plan for us, don't you? Even when you're on vacation, even when you're in the doctor's office, even when you're waiting at the beauty shop or whatever, we always need to be a witness for Christ. Well, let's pick up the story in Acts chapter 17. Starting at verse 15, and we'll read down to verse 34. So those who conducted Paul brought him to Athens. And receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him with all speed, they departed. Now, while Paul waited for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols Therefore, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him and and said, what does this babbler want to say? Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus saying, May we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak, for you're bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, therefore the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you, God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed time 
times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Truly, these things, these times of ignorance, God overlooked. But now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he's appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, while others said, we will hear you again on this matter. So Paul departed from among them. However, some men joined him and believed. Among them Dionysius the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and others with him. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this account of Paul's journey and his time that he spent in the city of Athens. I pray that, Lord, you would help us to take the scripture and apply it to our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's look at the city of Athens, first of all, in verse 15. Now, the glory of the Grecian Empire reached its peak in the 4th and the 5th centuries B.C. But by the time Paul got to the city of Athens, which was a few hundred years later, even Athens, though it's the proud center of Greek culture, was past its bloom. Even so, it was still a vital cultural center with world-famous university. Athens was the home of philosophers like Socrates and Plato, people like Aristotle, Epicurus, and Zeno. The Romans, who were now in charge, they had the Roman Empire, they gave Athens the right to maintain their institutions as a free city, but allied with Rome. Rome conquered the Grecian Empire in 146 BC. So even though they were fading some, Athens was still a big cultural center. Paul noticed the idolatry of the city. While he was waiting around, he probably just walked up and down the streets looking at all of the statues, all of the idols, all of the temples. It was filled. The streets were lined with statues of men and gods. There was, in the city of Athens, there was especially decorated with something called the Hermai. They were pillars all over the city mounted with the head of Hermes, one of their gods. Now, if you recall, when Paul and Barnabas was in Lystra, they were, you know, had someone uh, that was able to walk, and all of the people in Lystra bowed down, and they called Barnabas Zeus, who is the head god, and remember what they called Paul? Hermes. And I can imagine as Paul is going into the city of Athens, and see, he sees all of these heads of the Greek god Hermes, which was the spokesman god, and he would think, they were worshiping me. And his heart just was stirred within him, and it was plagued within him that these people actually worship these idols. 
From an aesthetic standpoint, Athens was unrivaled for its exquisite architecture and statutes. But Paul was not looking as a sightseer. He was looking as a soul winner. You know, the, the Greeks deified all of these gods, which were really not any better than humans as far as their, their sinfulness and their lifestyle and their mistakes and their anger. And it was just kind of like uh, uh, the sinfulness of man on steroids for these Greek gods. You know, today we might look at Athens, if anybody's ever visited the city and noticed all the beautiful architecture and the ruins that are there. But when Paul looked over the city, he was just stirred with the idolatry. Notice what it says here in verse 16, the stirring of Paul's heart. Now, while Paul waited for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Paul could not enjoy the sights. He only saw the empty hearts of those who worshipped these idols. He was jealous for the true God of heaven when everybody was giving allegiance to these, all these, these empty statues that were really no gods at all. You might think, well, hey, we've kind of gotten civilized. We don't have idols today. Oh, yes, we do. <laughs> we have what we call American idols. <laughs> You know, instead of uh, Zeus, we have the God called Pleasure. Instead of Hermes, we have the God called Materialism. Instead of Athena, we have the God of Addictions. Walking around Athens, our Athens, called Pantagora or Port Charlotte, I see the idols there, don't you? People make idols of their stuff. They make idols of their boats and their homes they make idols of there's so many idols that they don't have room to store them, so they have storage facilities to, to put, put them all in. You know, we, the more and more we worship our stuff, we, we make idols of our sports, we worship our celebrities, we, we live for our weekends, we worship our jobs, our bank accounts, we polish our graven images and bow down to our idols, and we make them more important than God. That's what an idol is. Anything that you pl- that make more important than God. Well, Athens has got nothing on American idols. So Paul's spirit was stirred, provoked. But notice as Paul sees these idols, he said, I got to do something. I got to say something. I can't enjoy just looking at all of this idolatry. And so he begins a ministry with various groups in the city of Athens, even though he, he didn't plan to, to plant a church there or stay very long. But he starts with a synagogue ministry. And he goes into the synagogue in verse 17. And this is what he usually did. He would go into any Greek, uh, any, any city that he would find, uh, a bunch of Jews that were worshiping. He would start out going to the synagogue and preach and reason them with the scriptures and minister to there. We don't know what kind of ministry he had in the synagogue. But that's where he started out with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles. But then he goes into the marketplace The Greek word here is agora. Now, this was a cultural thing back in Greek culture. This is where everybody met. 
It was not just a place to, to go and buy your fruits and vegetables and go and, and buy and sell baskets and all kinds of, of craft homemade things that people would make and bring to the marketplace. But it was also a place to go and listen to the philosophers. It was a place to attend festivals, a place to hear the latest news of the politics and the gossip. Basically, it was a gathering place for people. Whereas the synagogue was the place for the religious, the agora, or the marketplace, was the place for everyone else. You know, I think we do a great job in our synagogue ministry, which is church. We minister effectively in our church. But what about our marketplace ministry? What is your agora? What is the place where you meet people and talk to them about the Lord? We had a missionary here a few weeks ago by the name of Alan Mahak, and he's like any minister. Most of the time you hang around people who are believers, and you try to instruct them and teach them. It's a good, good thing. But on Saturday, Alan Mahak has a motorcycle club that he's a part of. Now, he, he doesn't join one of those Christian motorcycle clubs. He wanted to go to where the lost people are. To minister to them. He called it, he called that Saturday his Sinner Saturday. <laughs> it's a time to go and meet sinners. I, I think that's his marketplace. Another pastor friend of mine down in Cape Coral, he has a marketplace ministry. He goes on Saturday biking without the motor. You ever been on one of those bicycles? <laughs> he rides 20 miles a day. Oh my goodness, sitting on that little dinky seat for 20 miles. I would not want to do that. But that's what he does. And he is able to talk to lost people and talk to them about the Lord and have a marketplace ministry. What is your marketplace? Where do you go and meet people? A club some t- somewhere in, in town to, that you like to do activities or a garage sale or someplace where you can get your hair done or cut or whatever? Talk to people wherever you are, out in the public. And you know, another new marketplace in America is the internet. I mean, there's so many ways that it's used for, for wrong purposes. Let's use it for good purposes, to meet people for the Lord and talk to them about salvation. Bring them to church and meet people that way. Well, I tell you, may God give us as a church and as individuals a marketplace, agora ministry like Paul had here. Well, he met with the synagogue and he met in the marketplace, but then he began to have specific ministries with two different groups of people. The first group of people that we see that he ministered to was the Epicureans. Now, These were two opposing philosophies as he witnessed in Athens. Those are the Epicureans and the Stoics. Now, Epicureans followed a guy by the name of Epicurus who lived 341 to 270 BC. And basic philosophy was the chief end of man was pleasure and happiness. We associate today the word Epicurean with the pursuit of pleasure and a love for fine living especially fine food. To some, pleasure meant, which was grossly physical, but to others it meant a life of refined serenity, free from pain and anxiety. The Epicurean said, enjoy life. Don't worry, be happy. That was their philosophy. And the Greeks were really into that philosophy. 
Well, there was another group there called the Stoics. Now, on the other hand, these guys were followers of Zeno, who lived about the same time uh, of Epicurus. And they got their name from the painted portico or the Stoa, where he traditionally taught in the city of Athens. That place was called the Stoa, so they named their philosophy after that, the Stoics. Well, the Epicureans said, enjoy life, but the Stoics said, endure life. The Stoics were pantheists, and their emphasis was on personal discipline and self-control. The most important thing in life was to follow one's own reason and be self-sufficient, unmoved by inner feelings or outward circumstances. Keep a stiff upper lip and pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. You are more than a conqueror. You're able to tough it out. Quit whining, you know, suck it up. Isn't that what your mom or dad said to you when you were kids? (laughs) This is a stoic philosophy. And the Romans really liked that philosophy, toughness. Instead of one was a, a message to live life and just let it all. And then the other one is just be tough and don't let anything bother you. Well, Paul's message wasn't very well received by them in verse 18. Notice what it says. It says, then certain of the Epicurean and the Stoic philosophers encountered him. And some said, what does this babbler want to say? Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. The word babbler actually meant a seed picker a retailer of secondhand scraps of philosophy. That was a derogatory word. You know, they, they just badmouth. Oh, this guy is just nuts. He's just not saying anything that we... Uh, but, you know, even, even though they didn't agree with him, they invited him to come to a place called the Areopagus. Uh, that is a word there, and we, all, we also call it Mars Hill, or the Hill of Ares, Mars and Ares were the Greek and the Roman gods of war. And so this place, now the marketplace was a place for everybody. I mean, it's just uh, the town uh, square, you might say, where everybody met. But the Areopagus was a place for the philosophers. It was the ones that were more of the elite in the community. They would just go up there and they would just talk to each other about their own philosophies. So the Epicureans and Stoics said, Paul, why don't you just come up here? We'll let, you, uh, we'll let you just kind of rant on and tell us what you, you mean. Uh, after all, they love to hear new things. And Paul definitely was telling them some new things. So next we go into the sermon on Mars Hill in verses 22 to 34. He is engaging with the intellectuals. And he begins the content of his sermon in verse 22. As we see here, let me back up to verse 22. It says, Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. They had gods all over the place. As a matter of fact, sometimes uh, one wit said there's more gods in the city than there are people. 
There were so many of them. They, they had a God of war. They had a God of sex. They had a God of wine. They had a God of, of, of lightning. They had gods of everywhere. And they, they thought, one group of people thought, you know, what if we missed one of them? What if there was a God there that we didn't build a statue to? So I got it. Let's, let's gather together and build a statue here and, and call it to the unknown God. <laughs> hey, we got our bases all covered here. We're good. You know, we, we're honoring them all. And if we missed any, there's that one. And Paul saw that statue to the unknown God. And he just, a sermon came into his mind, you know, <laughs> just a thought. You know that statue out there, guys, uh, just down the block a little bit and, and at the corner of the street, the statue that says, to the unknown God? And he said, yeah, I've, I know that. I was part of building that. I, I've seen that today. And then Paul looked at the audience and says, you know that unknown God? That's the God I want to talk to you about. He is the God of heaven. And then he begins his sermon. He's got their attention. And he preaches to them that this unknown God in this sermon is the God Who is the creator? In verse 24, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. (laughs) You got your temple over here that's supposed to be the house for this God. Let me tell you, this unknown God that you're worshiping, he doesn't have a temple. The whole earth is his temple. He created it, and he created everyone in it. And he doesn't need you to feed him. You know, a lot of these statues, people would leave food. They would leave flowers. They would leave all kinds of things so that these gods could eat. (laughs) And, And Paul says, you don't need to feed God. As a matter of fact, he's the one that feeds you. He's the one that takes care of you. He is the creator. Also in this sermon, Paul continues that God is the ruler in verse 26. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined, he has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. All of the people on earth, God is in charge of. He's the one that describes history. Nothing can happen without his overseeing power. The boundaries of the countries, the Lord is the one that sets them. He is the ruler of all things. And he is wanting you to come to him. And if you're seeking for him, he's not far. He's not far. He's only faith away. Therefore, we can be one of these. Paul continues his sermon. God is creator. God is ruler. But he also tells them that God is Savior. Look at verse 30 of Acts chapter 17. Verse 30. It says there, Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked. Now just, just imagine what he's telling them. Have all of these statues, all of these gods... They've been building these gods and they're worshiping them and they're going their own way. And, and Paul says, God, these times of, uh, of ignorance, your ignorance, <laughs> building these statues, your ignorance, God is being patient with. But now, now is the time. Notice what he says in verse 31. He says, because he's appointed a day 
on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man, by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. Oh, Paul is just getting warmed up now, you know. He's talked about their ignorance. He's talked about their false religions. And he's talked about their unknown God. He's introducing the God that they don't know about. I'm, I want to tell you the story. He is there and he is seeking those to worship him. And he has appointed the man that you need to repent of your sin. And you need to come by him because he died and rose again. Paul is just getting started and boom, they interrupt him. <laughs> they interrupt his sermon. I, I could just wonder what he would have said after that. He probably would have said, now is the time, folks. Jesus loves you and he died for you. You believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You can be saved. You don't have to go to these idols anymore. Tear them all down and worship the unknown, that God of heaven. But he didn't get to finish his sermon because he was interrupted, as a matter of fact, in verse 32. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, that was it. Some mocked, while others said, we'll hear you again in this matter. So I can imagine as Paul got to this point, then there was people in the crowd. This guy is nuts. Throw him out. It's time for someone else to get up and say, let the guy that's over there, let him come. And they began to mock him. So the sermon was over. But the gospel message still struck to hearts. Let's look at the results of the sermon. As I said before, some ridiculed. They denied it. The gospel message of Jesus Christ still has those who deny its true. It's not people that just, you know, ignore it. They, they just don't believe that God would send his son to die on the cross to pay for man's sin. And all we have to do is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's still people today that do not believe and they, they, they ridicule the Bible, they ridicule the gospel message and say it's simplistic. Christians are always needing something to believe in. Well, I don't need it. I, I'm as good. I'm good for myself. There's those that deny it, but then there's some that delay it. Some were mildly interested. Notice what it says in, in that verse. Others said, that's verse 32, we will hear you again on this matter. They are delaying their decision. You know, these kinds of people are still around today. Years ago when I was pastoring in another state, I was visiting a man, a person in our church said, I got a relative that's in the hospital. Will you go see him? And I went to visit with him and, and the Lord impressed upon me I need to share the gospel with him. So I shared how a person could be saved and he had heard about that and he had never made that decision. I said, wouldn't you like to do it right now, right here in this hospital bed? Wouldn't you like to invite Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And he said, well, well, pastor, I tell you what, um, when I get out of the hospital, I'll think about it. When I get in the hospital, then you can come visit me and we'll, we'll talk about it some more. That's all I could do. I walked away and I found out later the man died in the hospital. He didn't have he delayed a decision, and it was his last decision, unless he asked the Lord why well, I wasn't there. There's another guy while I was in college in uh, Iowa. 
was going to college, building pallets, working my way through college. That's an initial, that's a, a weird thing, isn't it today? Work your way through college. <laughs> but I was working my way through college, and I, I was by myself, and, and the boss's son would come in once in a while, you know, like boss's sons always do. They can make their own hours and work or not work or whatever. But he was in there. He was 17 years old, and he was helping build the pallets. And I, we were just by ourselves, and I was talking to him about the Lord and talking about salvation. He was a very active. He was an athlete. He played baseball in, in uh, high school and went to one of the local high schools there. He was so involved. He had a motorcycle, and he didn't have time <laughs> for this. And I, I asked him if he would like to accept Jesus. And you know what he said to me? He said, I've got plenty of time. He, he was young. You know, wh- why quit living the kind of lifestyle that he's enjoying right now? His, his dad had money and he was going to do things. And, and so I, I uh, graduated from college and I didn't work there anymore. And I didn't hear from him. That was uh, when he was 17. A few years later, I got a church. I was pastoring in northern Iowa. I was listening to the radio, same radio station that was there in the college area. And it was a secular radio station. And I heard news of the guy by the name, and it was the same guy that I had talked to three or four years before, who was now 20 or 21. And I heard that this guy was riding his motorcycle at a a high rate of speed and he hit a bridge abutment and died right on the spot. And you know, when I heard that name and I heard that death, I heard the echo of those words in my mind, I've got plenty of time. Folks, we don't know how much time we have. We could go home this afternoon and the Lord take us home. We could get hit by a car. We could have a stroke, a brain aneurysm. We never know. So what these Athenians did when they said, maybe later. (laughs) We'll talk about this later. We don't know. We need to make sure we accept now. But there was another response to this message. Some believed Verse 34, some decided for Jesus, and they gave two names, Dionysius the Areopagite and Damaris. The Areopagite was one of those philosophers that were up there on the hill with Paul. One of those guys got saved, and then a lady by the name of Damaris. Proud, sophisticated, wise Athens would not take easily to Paul's humbling message of the gospel and accept a few But after all, one soul is worth the whole world. As Paul was sitting there, just killing time in Athens, he wasn't impressed with the beauty of the city. He had the beauty of the gospel message to share with those educated, those sophisticated philosophers Many of them rejected it, but a few accepted the gospel. There's a couple applications uh, and takeaways that I'd like for us to to remember here. And the first one, as Paul was looking over that city that was just steeped in self-idolatry and all kinds of idols, his heart was stirred. When was the last time the Spirit stirred your heart? For lost souls. We need to be that kind of people. Not just say, well, I got my, uh, 
I got my things and I'm going to church and I'm not thinking about anything, just enjoying the Lord. But there's people that don't enjoy the Lord. There's people that don't know him. May God give us a stirred heart for those who are lost. The next application is, do we have more than a synagogue ministry? I mean, a ministry in-house, church ministry, that's wonderful. But we need a marketplace ministry. We need to have a venue where we take our faith and share it with those who are lost, who are out there, and pray that God would show you how you can have a ministry with those people that will never step door in the church until God works in their heart. May God continue to give a burden for the lost. Well, Athens might have been up and out, might have been on the top of the food chain mentally, intellectually, but they were lost as the day is long. And God wants us to be a light in our Athens. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I want to thank you so much for giving us the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that we would have the passion of Paul, who we know the Lord, but we want to see other people know him as well. Give us a desire to share with someone in our marketplace today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.